something that I consider to be one of the great tragedies of living in the time we are in, is that I was born too late to explore the Earth, and yet too early to explore space. Every corner of our planet has been more or less uncovered, unless you count the ocean. And don't get me wrong, I mean, I love living in a day and an age with modern medicine and technology and air conditioning. But there's something so fascinating about the idea that for most of human history, people didn't know what was out there beyond the edges of their maps. Like, they knew there was an ocean and probably something beyond it. But what? Most of the Earth was a big void of mystery. And there were truly edges to civilization. For centuries, the west coast of Ireland was one of these places. Literally at the edge of the map. Where a person could stare out into the great unknown, with what they thought of as all of human existence at their back. Today, these lonely places hold ruins, memories, and sometimes ancient Jedi texts. My name is Logan Reynolds, you're listening to Routes Unbound, and today we are visiting the Emerald Isle of Ireland and uncovering the history of the monks of Skellig Michael. Don't go away. In the 5th century AD, the Roman Empire collapsed, and when it did, Western civilization regressed. Populations declined, cultural and literal output diminished, social institutions crumbled, plagues and famines and wars wreaked havoc. This time period was sometimes referred to as the Dark Ages, due to the perceived lack of historical record compared to other times in human history. Intellectual pursuits were all but gone in much of Europe, for centuries. But so much of what was preserved during this time was because of monks. Christian monks became keepers of knowledge through their preservation of the Latin language. It was their monasteries which became the centers of intellect for much of Europe. And often they were built in these incredibly remote, hard-to-reach places and were sometimes fortified. They were like bastions of knowledge, preserving not just the Christian tradition, but art, history, science, philosophy, math. And monks themselves often lived pretty hardcore lives, forsaking earthly pleasures and indulgences to more readily connect their spirits to God. This was a practice known as asceticism. Ireland is home to many of these monasteries, some more notable than others. One such is the monastery at Skellig Michael. Skellig Michael is a small island, just over 50 acres in size, about seven miles off the coast of southwest Ireland. Most of its surface consists of rocky cliffs, which reach over 700 feet into the sky and form two peaks, between which is a valley known as Christ's Saddle. The island's story stretches back almost to the time of Jesus Christ. But before we get too far into the story of Skellig Michael, we need to understand how Christianity came to Ireland and how a captive teenager became the symbol of a people and a country. Most people associate the person of St. Patrick with an Irish Catholic priest, but that's not necessarily the best way to think about it. St. Patrick was not Irish. He was born in Roman Britain. So, 
When the Roman Empire controlled much of the island of Great Britain, there was a people and a culture that was a combination of Roman culture and the native Britons, which are not the same as the British people today. That's where Patrick was born and raised. Also, Patrick was not Catholic, at least not in the way that we would think of it today. He was born in the late 4th century, just a few decades after the Council of Nicaea, and the canonization of scripture was possibly still happening at the time of his birth. This was hundreds of years before the Eastern Orthodox Church or the Reformation would come on the scene. So there really was no capital C Catholic Church then. Not, not really. There was just the Church. So when I say that he wasn't a Catholic, I don't mean that he isn't a Catholic saint, so much as he wouldn't have thought of himself in that way. And as with most historical figures from so long ago, much of St. Patrick's story is vague and scattered. Most of what we know about him comes from his own work, The Confession of St. Patrick. While he began his life as the son of a senator and tax collector in Roman Britain, at the age of 16, he was taken captive by Irish pirates, along with, according to him, thousands of others. For six years, he was a slave, working as a shepherd in Ireland. And what's interesting is that he attributes his capture and imprisonment to the wrath of God being poured out on him as an unbeliever. And he claims that during his captivity, his eyes were opened, his heart was turned to God, and he converted to Christianity. One day, the young Patrick heard a voice telling him that it was time to depart for his home country, that his ship was ready and it waited for him far away. So he fled from his captors. And this is the crazy part. He essentially ran 200 miles from one side of Ireland to the other to find his ship. And when he did, he just asked the men on the ship for a ride. They initially refused him, but somehow Patrick was able to win them over, and they granted him passage. He describes this journey as being incredibly difficult. After landing, he and all of the sailors ended up walking through the wilderness for 28 days, and nearly starved to death until Patrick prayed and some wild pigs showed up. Then Patrick goes on to describe this moment, this encounter where Satan attacks him while he's sleeping, uh, and he couldn't lift his body until sunrise. Then he gets taken captive again, this time for two months, before he's freed and escapes. Eventually, somehow, he ends up returning to his parents in Britain in one piece. And of course, after such an experience, Patrick decides to become a priest. He goes on to study in Italy and what would one day become France. He becomes a bishop, but somewhere in the intervening years between his captivity and his return to Ireland, he has another vision. Here's how he describes it in his confession. And, of course, there, in a vision of the night, I saw a man whose name was Victoricus, coming as from Ireland with innumerable letters. And he gave me one of them. And I read the beginning of the letter, the voice of the Irish. And as I was reading the beginning of the letter, I seemed at that moment to hear the voice of those who were beside the forest of Foklet, which is near the Western Sea, and they were crying as if with one voice. We beg you, holy youth, that you shall come and shall walk again among us. And I was stung intensely in my heart, so that I could read no more. And thus I awoke. From the little we know about Patrick, most sources claim he arrived in Ireland again in 431 or 432, this time on purpose, and with a burning in his heart to turn the pagan Irish to God. Tradition states that Patrick had a hard time with it at first, and that his life was threatened on more than one occasion. 
Eventually, he started making converts, and the son of an Irish chieftain, Benignus, became his disciple. Still, the Druids of Ireland were not always kind to Patrick. He was beaten, robbed, imprisoned, and, according to his own words, often lived under constant threat of martyrdom. A lot of exactly what Patrick did and how he did it isn't recorded, partly because his confession was written to an audience that was familiar with him. But aside from the thousands of baptisms and conversions and ordinations that Patrick himself claims happened, there are also more miraculous stories about his life that have persisted throughout the years. Some, such as Patrick raising people from the dead, were recorded by Patrick himself. But another tale speaks of how Patrick was standing atop a mountain when he was attacked by a group of snakes. He drove them out into the sea, along with every snake in Ireland. And that is why you cannot find snakes anywhere in Ireland to this day. Christianity was in Ireland well before Patrick arrived. But it wasn't until his work that the religion took hold in any meaningful way. Today, over three-fourths of Irish people identify as belonging to the Catholic Church. And much of Irish identity and culture is tied to the Catholic tradition. While there were many others involved over the centuries, St. Patrick had an immeasurable impact on the course of the nation. And it wasn't long after he died that stories about him turned into legends, and legends turned into traditions. Today, the people who once enslaved him now venerate him as a saint. While the Christian faith didn't take root in earnest until the time of St. Patrick, Skellig Michael has been a place of spiritual importance for nearly as long as the Christian tradition. Named for the Archangel Michael, the island is one of two that sits several miles off the coast of County Kerry. While the smaller island, Little Skellig, is inaccessible, Skellig Michael has been inhabited off and on since at least 60 AD. A coldy hermitage was established there with the mission of protecting sacred texts of the Essenes, a mystic Jewish sect at the time. Today, the Essenes are known as the people who first collected the Dead Sea Scrolls, so they would have known a bit about taking care of important documents. And if you look at Skellig Michael, it makes a lot of sense that someone would put a hermitage there. At the time, it was quite literally at the edge of the known world. And the island itself looks like a fortress. It rises up out of the sea as a fierce, jagged mountain. Any surface that isn't exposed rock is covered in rich, green grass. Gray seals are found along the shoreline, and high on the rocks are hosts of seabirds, most notably the Atlantic puffins, which stay on the island during the warmer months. At some point after the death of St. Patrick, a monastery was built on Skellig Michael. It's thought that no more than 12 monks ever lived there at one time. They persisted off of fish, bird eggs, and the meager crops they could conjure out of the limited soil provided to them. The monastery remained in use for centuries, despite Viking raids and a changing ocean climate, which made approaching the island more difficult. At one point, the abbot was carried off by raiders and died of starvation as their captive. Somewhere around the beginning of the 13th century, the monastery fell out of use. But to this day, it still remains a site of pilgrimage for many. And the structures that the monks built still stand. Today, Three steep sets of stairs rise out of the sea and lead to the ruins of the monastery. The strange, domed rock formations that once housed the monks 
still braced themselves against the Atlantic wind. The famous Irish writer George Bernard Shaw once visited Skellig Michael and wrote about it in a letter to his friend. This is his description. Yesterday I left the Kerry Coast in an open boat, 33 feet long, propelled by 10 men on five oars. These men started on 49 strokes a minute, a rate which I did not believe they could keep up for five minutes. They kept it without slackening half a second for two hours, at the end of which they landed me on the most fantastic and impossible rock in the world, Skellig Michael. Both the Skelligs are pinnacled, crocketed, spired, arched, caverned, minareted, and these gothic extravagances are not curiosities of the islands. They are the islands. There is nothing else. The rest of the cathedral may be under the sea, for all I know. There are 90 fathoms by the chart, out of which the great Skellig rushes up 700 feet so suddenly that you have to go straight upstairs to the top, over 600 steps. And at the top, amazing beehives of flat rubble stones, each overlapping the one below until the circle meets in a dome. Cells, oratories, churches, and outside them cemeteries, wells, crosses, all clustering like shells on a prodigious rock pinnacle, with precipices sheer down on every hand. An incredible, impossible, mad place, which still tempts devotees to make stations of every stair landing, and to creep through needles' eyes at impossible altitudes, and kiss stones of pain jutting out 700 feet above the Atlantic. I tell you, the thing does not belong to any world that you and I have lived and worked in. It is part of our dream world. If this description of rock beehives on a green island sounds familiar, it may be because you've seen Skellig Michael up close on the big screen. The location played a prominent role in the more recent Star Wars movies, as the sacred Jedi planet of Ahch Master Yoda. Young Skywalker. I'm ending all of this. The tree, the text, the Jedi. I'm gonna burn it down. In the films, it's also a place of seclusion and isolation. And it's also responsible for the most unnerving scene out of all of the Star Wars movies. If you know, you know. It turns out even monks in a galaxy far, far away see Skellig Michael as a good place to hide their old scrolls. Mark Hamill, who plays Luke Skywalker, also described feeling the same sense of wonder as Shaw during his time on the island while filming the movies. He claimed that standing amongst the ruins on Skellig Michael felt like being on a different world. The island was made a UNESCO World Heritage Site in 1996, and you can visit it today by chartering a boat from the mainland between May and October. It's thought that the sea is rougher now than it was when the monks lived on the island, so it's not as accessible as it once was. Even if you get there, there's no amenities on the island, not even a bathroom, and the climb up the crude, worn stairs can be difficult. But for those visitors willing to brave the sea and make the climb, the views, I'm told, are well worth it. Skellig Michael is just one well-preserved example of this whole world that existed away from the dirt and mire of early medieval Europe. It's just one lighthouse of knowledge amidst a world of darkness. And there are still monks today, living much like the monks of Skellig Michael. And as much as the monks of old contrasted the culture they were in, 
the monks of today seem to just as much, if not more. There's nothing about our current modern culture that involves self-denial or simplicity. And if the monks of old were set apart as the forerunners of information, the monks of today, which exist in a hyper-connected world, are set apart for the opposite reason. They're secluded from this shared experience of memes and reality television and identity politics. I wonder what St. Patrick or the monks of Skellig Michael would think about the world we live in today. What would they think about things like all-you-can-eat buffets and midterm elections and TikTok, Wikipedia? What would they think about the fast-paced, overstimulated, gratuitous, gluttonous, consumerist culture we sometimes find ourselves in? What would St. Patrick think about his ascendancy from humble, lowly servant of the Lord to a cultural icon for an entire country and the namesake for the drunkest day of the year? Something tells me that he would be aghast at how idolized he's become. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't celebrate a man like St. Patrick, but it's a bit ironic if you think about it. His goal was to be lowly, humble, and yet here he is, an icon without his consent. Or think about the monks of Skellig Michael. It's ironic that their desire to remain secluded and separate from the world is what led to their homes being immortalized on the silver screen. But that's often what happens to people who live fascinating lives. Their stories outlive them and outgrow them and turn into something else, something bigger, and brings them to the forefront of culture. Even if, for their entire lives, they put themselves in the background. This episode of Routes Unbound was written and produced by me, Logan Reynolds. There are a lot of resources to learn more about Skellig Michael. And if you want to read The Confession of St. Patrick, it's pretty easy to find on the internet as well. There's a lot of different translations. Just be forewarned, it's not exactly written for a modern audience, but still interesting to read nonetheless. And if you want to follow along with what else we're doing with the show, make sure to follow us on social media. You can find all of those links at mccunemedia.com. That's M-C-C-U-N-E media.com. And until next time, don't forget to slow down, be human, and share a drink with somebody this week. See you next time.